0: We've been looking together at where do we find wisdom in a world of nonstop sound bites and spin and hot takes? Where do we look for wisdom? In the New Testament, there's a letter written by James where he offers this instruction. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Which the irony of that invitation is is that it takes wisdom to be the kind of person who recognizes, I lack wisdom. And if you're lacking in wisdom, often the way that that shows up is that you don't think you're lacking in the area of wisdom, right? And all of us can probably think about moments when we bumped up against this reality in our lives. When I was in high school, uh, one of the ways I made extra money was mowing lawns. Now, uh, part of this, I had the gas-powered lawnmower... But the weed whacker was the kind that you had to plug into an outlet. So you always had to run extension cords, power cords, um, so that you could do the edging and the weed whacking and all that kind of stuff. So one day I was in uh, a rush to finish my lawns. I was working on the last lawn of the day. This was a sweltering sticky summer day in Houston, Texas, kind of like the weather we've had recently. Uh, And I was uh, mowing the front yard. I was doing my laps back and forth as fast as I could to try to get this done. When I saw that the, the extension cord, the power cord was stretching out over the lawn in an area of the lawn that I had yet to mow. And I had this momentary thought, which seemed like wisdom at the time, that if I can just, Bunny hop the lawnmower over the extension cord. I wouldn't have to stop the lawnmower, then move the cord and then try to start the lawnmower again, which in the case of this lawnmower was a pretty tricky thing because it often wouldn't start. And I was going to lose a lot of time, like two to five minutes of my day. I was looking for efficiency here and I really wanted to be in a pool somewhere and not mowing somebody's lawn. So I've got this figured out and I'm, making the, I'm coming up with the game plan as I'm going back and forth with the lawnmower and I'm coming up to the extension cord. And what I do, I've done this with my bike, and so what I do is I try to, I, I I try to um, push down on the handle to try and generate some bounce so that I could hop the lawnmower over the power cord, and I had the, I, I, I had pictured this and planned it in my head, and I don't think it worked. Because 220 volts of electricity just went vol- uh, just pulsating through my body. And that was the last time I ever tried to bunny hop an extension cord. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, you should ask God. Maybe it's in a relationship or in the context of work or with your finances. Uh, some of you are getting ready to go back to school. By the way, education, universities... It was once assumed that the goal of an education uh, was was to gain wisdom, not just intellect. In fact, that word philosophy, it's two words that go together. Philio, love. Uh, Sophia, wisdom. The love of wisdom. That's what we're supposed to be after. And so this summer, we have immersed ourselves in some of the greatest wisdom in the Bible. And I thought we could just jump right in with one of my favorite Proverbs from chapter 21. It says, the Mustang is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Isn't that a great proverb? Some of you are like, wait, okay, hold on a second. I don't see Mustang in my Bible. That is a loose translation of the Hebrew word for horse, but I wanted to show some love to the SMU community. If we have any college students here today, there were zero or like one in the 930 service. We're hoping that some of you are here at 11 o'clock and welcome to Dallas. Now, as we've studied these Proverbs and uh, maybe you've noticed this, this is, it's different than reading other books in the Bible. It's not as story-based or the narrative arc, it just isn't really there. These are short, pithy statements that tend to stick with us and they're memorable. And I was thinking this summer about, like, where do you find the modern day version of Proverbs? And maybe because it's because we were at the lake at the time and we tend to listen to this particular genre of music when we are at the lake, but aren't some of the best modern day Proverbs writers Country music singers, turn out of bed and stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition. Anybody know who that is? Okay, the Gen Xers are like, no, I don't. It's Dolly Parton, okay, and the song is nine to five. They love that at 11 o'clock. Here's one, she said, I bet you don't remember me. And I said, only every other memory. Do we have some uh, Gen Xers here? That's Tim McGraw, okay, okay. How about this one? A little bit more recent. You can plan for a change in the weather and time, but I never planned on you changing your mind. Crickets at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary. And do anybody? This is Taylor Swift. I'm disappointed. My daughter's favorite proverb writer. So, so that's we read through this wisdom for everyday life, packed into these short, memorable phrases. Now today we're talking about character. And part of this, there's a world of difference between having lots of intellect and knowledge. But if you don't have the character to steward that knowledge in pursuit of the right things, well, that's not wisdom at all. Now, some helpful context here before we read our text. The book of Proverbs was likely written as a kind of manual for school-age boys. It was a wisdom guide for young men written thousands of years ago. So when we read this with our enlightened 21st century eyes, some of these Proverbs can, from time to time, come across a little bit maybe outdated or narrow sounding. And so we have to remember that the Proverbs, like the rest of the Bible, while, while they, it was written for us, it wasn't written to us. And part of the work of learning to read Scripture well is to understand what it meant for the people to whom it was written so that then we can begin to, to understand how, what is God saying to us today? So I'd love for you to open your Bible, if you have one, to Proverbs 31. It is the last chapter in Proverbs, probably the most well-known. Uh, when I was a student uh, growing up as a young Christian man, Proverbs 31 was mostly talked about in terms of, this is the kind of woman you want to marry. Anybody else remember this kind of phase of life where it's like the goal is to find a Proverbs 31 woman and there were all these books that were written about how to be a Proverbs 31 wife. In the words of one author, uh, godly woman, devoted wife and mother, domestic goddess, enterprising worker in and outside the home. And so it almost became during this this purity culture era an impossible yardstick by which any woman or for that matter, anyone could, could be measured. The other problem is that Proverbs 31 actually begins with instructions for how to be a godly man. And so I thought about giving this sermon the title, How to Be a Proverbs 31 Husband, but the creative team didn't like that. And we could have walked through verses 1 through 9 and just see this model of character, of one who leads by justice, of a man who has concern for the poor, of integrity, and they don't abuse alcohol. This is what biblical manhood looks like. It's a collection of sayings written by a, that, that are passed on from a guy named King Lemuel. He was an Israelite king, and these were lessons he learned from his mama. And in case you don't know, uh, we have a pastor here at the church whose first name is Lemuel, L. Nelson Bell. So this is an important text for him. So that's, that's verses one through nine. It's instructions for biblical manhood. And then the shift, uh, the focus shifts for the rest of the chapter to this epilogue on the wife of character, verses 10 through 31. And we're gonna walk through some of these themes. Um, First, a quick word about marriage in in the ancient world. In that day, and even in some majority world context to this day, in that day, there were only two reasons that a man would get married. First, you got married as a man, to secure the best financial and social status you could. In other words, the goal was to marry a daughter from the most well-off family that you could possibly marry. And then the second reason uh, was to have children, children who could help with your land and help with your family business. One reason nobody got married was for love. The goal as a man was to marry the woman who had the greatest chance of advancing you economically and socially, and then to bear your children. And if you were a woman, you really didn't get any say in who you were to marry. But nobody married for love. This wasn't about romance and sparks flying and chemistry. Um, if you wanted to find that, you would, you would go looking somewhere else. Marriage was not about companionship or friendship. It was a transaction. And yet, and yet, in this book of Proverbs is laid out a vision for marriage that says, you should be madly in love with your spouse. Proverbs, this is from Proverbs 5. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Remember, this was written likely as a wisdom guide for young men. Now we're gonna skip over the first part of verse 19. Please don't put that on the screens. But the second part reads this. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Like you should be crazy in love with your wife. Okay, that's shockingly counterculture. Earlier in Proverbs 2, the writer says that your spouse is your, and I don't know if we have this, do we have this like Hebrew word? Okay, this is the word aloof. Um, It's a Hebrew word that means your most intimate friend, your best friend, which again, flies in the face of a culture that commoditized marriage, where it was about money and social standing. And here's this book of wisdom that says, you are to be crazy in love with your best friend which also implies a certain amount of equality because real romance, real friendship is between equals. So this is the second part of uh, Proverbs 31 and it begins with a question. A wife of noble character, who can find? Now, let's keep this up for just a moment because it's a real important word that shows up here and it's a reminder of how important our Bible translations can be. The version you see on the screen, this is the NIV, the New International Version. The Bibles that we have in the pews in the sanctuary, which are the ESV, they use the word excellent, an excellent wife who can find. That reads a little bit differently than a wife of noble character, doesn't it? Earlier this week, I was studying this passage with some of our elders and we were going around the room reading our versions. And uh, one of these elders had this, uh, is an older version called the Revised Standard Version, the RSV. And his translation, I want you to see this, A good wife who can find. And I feel kind of bad about this because here we are. I mean, these are the elders of the church. They're kind of my bosses. And um, I I said this out loud as we were going around reading our versions of the Bible. And um, he got to this and he read it out loud. And I said, just without thinking to the whole group, I said, oh, that's a bad translation. (laughs) And so here I was trash talking his version of the Bible. So this is me saying, Gilbert, if you're here, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I love the RSV, I really do love the RSVV, except for this one verse. I don't like this one. So what is it? Is it good, excellent, or noble character? Well, this is actually the same word that's used in other places in the Old Testament for, to describe, um, it's a military term to describe a warrior, a valiant warrior on the field of battle. And so other scholars have suggested that we go with something like a woman of valor, Who can find? Verse 10, she is more precious, far more precious than jewels. Remember the way you married someone in that day as a groom, you would pay or your family would pay a dowry. And the goal was to get the most um, expensive marriage arrangement that you could afford. And here's what the wisdom writer says. He says, a wife of noble character, a wife of valor is not something you can buy. It is far more valuable than that. Verse 11, and we'll walk through some of this. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Now, this is a remarkable verse because nowhere else in the Bible is this language used other than putting your trust in God. You put your heart's trust in nothing and no one other than Yahweh, God alone. And yet here we're told the heart of her husband trusts in her. It's like this elevating of marriage to a level that would almost be unsettling for a faithful Jewish man or woman. That's how sacred this mutual trust is between husband and wife. Again, people, just, they just didn't talk this way about marriage. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain The King James uses the word spoil there. He will have no lack of spoil, like the spoil of the victors in a battle. Now, what's fascinating about this word, the only other time it shows up in the Proverbs is back in chapter one, Proverbs one, where there's this gang of thieves and they're trying to entice the young man to come and join their gang so that they could run around uh, stealing things and enjoying the plunder, enjoying the spoil. And so one way that people have looked at the book of Proverbs is like, this is almost, these are almost the bookends of the entire book. And the question here is, which path, is the young man going to take? Is he going to settle for the easy road to the easy plunder and the easy spoil? Or will he pursue the greater wisdom of a noble, valiant wife with whom together they can honor God and begin to receive the blessings, the greater spoil of life with God? And what I want to do with the time we have left is I'm going to go really quick and highlight some of the qualities of character we see in this wife and woman of value. Five things, and I'm gonna go through this quick. First, she works hard, she is hardworking and diligent, which, again, coming at the end of the book of Proverbs, is in such contrast to the sluggard who wastes his days away playing Fortnite or whatever sluggards do. There's a cool wordplay, in fact, um, using hands throughout Proverbs. So what does the slugger do with his hands? We're told that he buries it in the dish and like he can't, he's so lazy, he can't even get it back out of the dish. It is this savage picture of laziness that's repeated more than once in the Proverbs. So in striking contrast, you have the woman of valor and what is she doing with her hands? She, she works with willing hands. She plants a vineyard with her hands. She makes her arms, her hands strong. She puts her hands to the distaff and works the spindle. By the way, you read through Proverbs 31 and and there's no mention of her physical beauty. Outward appearance is nowhere to be found for the woman of valor or for that matter, the man in verses one through nine. Only thing mentioned are her hands. She's a hard worker. Second, she generates wealth. We're told she considers a field and buys it. So she's got a real estate side hustle going on she plants a vineyard. She sees that her merchandise is profitable. She makes linen garments and sells them. Here's an interesting one from verse 18. Her lamp does not go out at night. Now, I used to think what that meant was that that while everybody else is watching Netflix or they're going to bed, mom is still working hard, but that's not what it means. What it means, and I'm indebted to Bruce Walkie for this, it means that she has enough money, enough margin, that she doesn't have to worry about saving oil by snuffing out all the lamps when everybody goes to bed. Your lamp does not go out at night. That's like an ancient Middle Eastern proverb that says, you have ordered your house in such a way that you are prospering and you're not worried about every penny that you're spending on candles and lamp oil. Another little gem, verse 14. She brings her food from afar. What's up with that? You notice how um, these days, the goal of any trendy restaurant is to have the most locally grown, uh, sustainably farm to table experience. And so you open the menu and it tells the story. It says, these eggs that you're about to eat are from the chickens in the backyard. And they have a minimum of eight hours of playtime every single day. The the organic kale is from the garden in the backyard, even though nobody likes kale anymore. Um, We even roast our own hand-picked artisanal coffee beans for your enjoyment. stuff like that. Well, in the ancient world, it it was the opposite. If you could buy your food from afar, that, that was a sign of wealth. It means I don't have to grow everything that I eat. I can buy food from afar. We can change it up sometimes. We can enjoy food from other areas that we didn't grow. Okay, she works hard. She generates wealth. And the result of her hard work and her entrepreneurial giftedness is third, the flourishing of her family. She provides for her household who are clothed, we're told in verse 20, 21, in scarlet. And that word there for scarlet, it also means double thickness. It's like those puffer jackets that You can't fathom putting on right now, but when it's real cold outside, like they keep you nice and toasty, everybody in her household has a puffer jacket and they're ready for winter. She provides quality clothing for her family. Her family flourishes. Even her husband is being praised by the leaders of the community. He's praised, implication being, not for what he's done, but for his wife's character. And we're gonna come back to that. But it's not only her immediate family who flourishes, but those who work for her, the entire household, her servants, the employees, those helping with the family business and so forth. She is generous and she cares for the poor. Having worked hard to generate wealth, she's not close fisted with her profits. Remember the details about her hands? What's the detail in verse 20, if any of you have that open? It says they're open to the poor. Here's what one scholar writes. The hands that work to produce are open wide to provide. Hardworking, wealth generating, family flourishing, open hands to the poor. And then finally, she speaks truth. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. That word instruction is is actually the Hebrew word Torah, which means the scriptures, the law, the law. When she opens her mouth, Torah, truth, God's word is on her tongue. She's not a flatterer. She's not a gossiper. When she opens her mouth, truth comes out. And one of the results, one of the outcomes of all of this, we're told in verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate. In fact, there's one way of reading Proverbs 31, where the husband's respect at the city gate, we're gonna close with this, is almost at the center of this entire text. So let me see if, can we put up this? Here's a summary of this section of the text, verses 20 through 26. And notice how this structure, it's called the chiastic structure, and you have these consecutive pairings that continue together until you make your way to the thing that is at the very center of the text. And that's the most important. So first, you've got open hands to the poor, matched with um, her concern for those in her household, verse 26. Then in verse 21, she has no fear of the coming of snow, nor is she afraid, verse 25, of what the future may hold. She can laugh about the future because she's prepared. She's done what she needed to provide. Then you see that her household is clothed in scarlet in the same way she has clothed herself in strength and dignity. She makes bedding and clothing, And uh, she makes garment and sashes, whatever those are. And all of this is building to the central piece that the wife of valor, because of who she is, her husband is deeply respected and honored by those who are sitting at the city gates, the leaders of the community. Now, I can just imagine if you're anything like me, that there is a part of you when you see this structure and what you see what might be at the center that in 2023, we would almost cringe at the idea that her husband's reputation is at the center. Again, we have to remember and understand that we're dealing with an ancient text written thousands of years ago, but is there not also something almost subversively counterculture in this? that the strength, the valor, the entrepreneurial giftedness, the generosity, the character of a woman and not of a man is what gains the honor of an entire community. So Proverbs 31, you want to find wisdom? It's not about head knowledge. It's about courage, care for the poor the flourishing of those around you, your family and beyond. It's about speaking truth. This is the way that leads to wisdom. It's the way to truth, to life. And see, ultimately we know that it points to the one who is the way and the truth and the life that we find the perfect fulfillment of this in the one who would come years later in the line of Solomon and the line of the woman of valor, the one who, when he spoke, people were pierced by the truth in ways they had never been before. The one who once said, look at the birds in the air, look at the, the, the flowers on the field. Don't worry. Don't worry about the future. He could laugh at the days to come. The one who, who spoke up for those who couldn't speak up for themselves. The one whose arms were open to the poor, arms extended to the weak. And these would become the hands that were pierced and the arms that were spread wide on the cross. He was crucified outside the city gate. And by his blood, we were clothed in scarlet and forgiven of our sins. And then they wrapped his body in linens. But on the third day, when they went into that tomb, all that remained were burial cloths. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is clothed in strength, in dignity, and royalty as the risen Son of God. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather and behold you and even as we can read together, sometimes a confusing, but these words that are thousands of years old written to different people in a different time and yet still for us and ultimately how they point to you, their gospel, their good news. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we go from a place like this, that you would be doing that work of helping us to become these kinds of people, that the character of Jesus would be reflected in our midst. We love you and we thank you for this time together. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Thank you for joining us for worship. We're grateful to be in community together. So go in peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.